Welcome back to the second episode of The Climb to YPO. The Climb is a podcast about the ascent to success, the milestones along the way, and of course, the ups and the downs. We will be interviewing some of the most experienced business leaders in upstate New York about their story and how they got to where they are today. This show is brought to you in partnership with YPO Empire State and Mountain House Media, a strategic partner of YPO Empire State. I'm your host, Jeremiah Griska. Today, we'll be interviewing Steve Carl. Steve is the co-founder and CEO of High Probability Advisors, as well as the co-founder of Operation Brain Freeze, a multi-unit Dairy Queen franchise in upstate New York. Steve also serves as a board member for the Golisano Children's Hospital and Pandium Alliance, and has been a YPO member for an impressive 17 years. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Jeremiah, thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on your uh, podcast. Steve, so we've had the pleasure of working together a lot through HPA and through YPO the past year. And even before I met you, and one of the things that I noticed about you after working with you is that you're a great director. And so honestly, I think that you should be running this interview. Well, that is high praise, my friend, but I, I, I like the side of the camera you're on and I'm happy to at least uh, do my best on this, but I, I hadn't heard that. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to hear that. So I know bits and pieces about you, Steve, through working with you and through us chatting after shoots and things like that. Um, so I know you're from Rochester. Tell me what it was like growing up in Rochester. Yeah, well, my background, I was born and raised in Rochester. I'm from a big family. I'm the youngest of six kids and we're a pretty tight family. So it was always kind of, you know, always pulled back here. It was a great place to to grow up. And it's a great place, I think, to raise my family. My wife, Sandra's from from here and, and we have four boys and, you know, James, Jack, TJ and Teddy and 20 to ages 20 to age 10. So what was it like growing up with five siblings? It was a crazy household, but it's one of those things that's all you know when you're growing up. Um, so I think back how much that influenced me because I was always craziness. There was always things going on. But I think also because there's so many kids, my parents couldn't micromanage any of us. So it was sort of like it was survival. But I always look back and say that was a great gift they gave me because it was it gave you all the basics, everything you need, but also gave you the freedom and the autonomy to go make things happen. So I think that is one of the things I built on later in life, too. Another main thing was interesting. My brother, uh, my oldest brother, Billy, had uh, was a special needs child. He had uh, mentally mental handicaps and he was a great kid, great, great guy. But it was a really tough one. And he died uh, when I was 12. Do you think that uh, having uh, an older brother who had special needs or made you grow up faster? You know, you're spot on in that because I think at at 12 years old, I was more mature than maybe I am now because you had, you know, you're like, oh, you had to watch out. Everybody had to take care of Billy. You had to do this. Um, but it, it wasn't a, didn't feel like a burden at the time either. It was just like, oh, you just knew you had to do it. But it did. It, it put gave you perspective or maturity, I think, you know, early in life. So when you were growing up, you said you had a lot of autonomy, uh, excuse me, autonomy. Um, from your parents, uh, how did that affect your work ethic and how did that affect uh, your, your development? So tell me a little bit about like your first job and, and what, what it was like growing up with your family and whether or not they encouraged you to go get a job and, and be entrepreneurial. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because my first job had a major impact on my life. Uh, where we grew up was right near Genesee Valley Golf Course. They have a, somebody that usually a kid that cleans up at night and sweeps and mops and, and gases the golf carts up. And to me, that was the big attraction. Hey, I get to drive the golf cart, so I get to learn all that stuff. So I did that at 14, just on my own initiative. My parents were completely supportive because it was just a bike ride. It was a you know two-minute bike ride away to go do it. And I worked there for seven summers at that golf course. And after the first year, the assistant pro quit. So they said, hey, we need somebody to work behind the counter. So I really got an opportunity 
you know, at a young age to start acting professionally, interacting with the public. All of a sudden they said, hey, we need somebody to take your job. So I had to hire one of my friends to work under me. And, you know, and, and I was his quote unquote manager. So it really was a great learning experience. Um, and the interesting thing is, I ended up marrying the pro, the golf pro's daughter. So I met my future wife at my job at 14. So she's, she was 10 and, and was a pain in my side when I was trying to work. And it was, it was the boss's daughter, but I didn't know it was going to be my future father-in-law, but he was a great guy. And he would give you little lessons. He'd stop you in the moment. He was a teacher because he taught golf, but he also taught business. And he would say, Hey, they want to put a glove, you know, they want to try the glove on. I thought, well, I don't want to let them try the golf glove on. They're going to ruin it. And he's like, no, no, you always let them try the golf glove on. That's an impulse buy. Once they have it on, they're more likely to buy it. So I, I had little business lessons along the way and how he interacted with people. I, I learned a great deal. He was a great mentor for my whole life, but it was just funny. And then how years later, uh, Sandra and I started dating and ended up getting married. So it was real, it was, I don't know if everybody's first job is that impactful. That one was pretty darn impactful. So you worked at the Genesee Valley Golf Course well into your college years at that point. Yeah. And you went to U of R for biology originally. Yep. And explain to me how you went into to biology originally at U of R and now you're in investment. It's an interesting, strange ride, but it's funny. When I went to the University of Rochester, first of all, I didn't even apply to any other schools. My mom worked at the billing office at Strong. So when in those days, you had a great tuition benefit. So my older brother, uh, Jim, went there. And Jim is brilliant. He's a doctor. And he was one of my idols. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to follow in his footsteps. He, you know, it seems like it's working out well for him. I was good in math and science. So I was doing all this, you know, math and science and, and biology until my senior year of U of R. And we had to do a surgery. We had to do this, we're taking this one class. We had to do surgery on a rat. And man, that's when it all hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I was over that and going, I'm going to get sick. I literally ran to the bathroom, got sick. And and my brother, who was the chief resident at the time, he and I went for a run. I'm like, Jim, I don't think I can do this. And he goes, yeah, I saw law school for you. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. So my senior year, I looked and said, yeah, I'd already had my biology degree, you know, all the classes done. So I took economics and poli-sci classes my second semester, my senior year, and I loved them. And I went off to law school. I got in law school at Albany Law School, which was a great experience. And I got into a law firm, Woods Oviet Law Firm. It's a great firm in town. And it was a great experience, but I knew within the first year or two, like, this is great, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I don't like the reward for being a great lawyer is you get to do one narrow band of law and that's it. And I learned a ton but I thought, boy, I couldn't see myself doing that. And then I had the opportunity to go in-house, Manning and Peer Advisors, which is a really large investment advisory firm in Rochester. And I got that job and that was kind of a turning point because all of a sudden it brought me into the investment industry, which I had very little background other than they wanted so many new contracts and regulations and all that stuff. And uh, it was a great way to learn the industry. Law is a great way to learn things because you do get exposed to a lot of different areas. So it was a great way to learn the investment industry. Um, and then I got recruited away, Mike Jones, who you've met, he's a great guy. And this was probably the big seminal point because he wanted somebody not just to be a lawyer, but be that chief operating officer, really run the business because Mike is brilliant. He's one of he's probably the best investment person I've, I've, I've ever known. And Mike just wants to focus on that. So it was great for me. I was able to jump in and we were, and we were a good team that way. I feel like I complimented his skills well. But that gave me the opportunity and quickly they made me chief operating officer and then president of Clover Capital. The other great thing about that was somebody came in and said, oh, they saw your name and your age. And I was 35. And they said, you should be in YPO. And I'd never heard of YPO. And so we had uh, coffee and he started telling me about YPO and how it started in Rochester, New York. You hear this worldwide organization and such. And uh, we just had a great conversation. I came back and I thought, I am 
in over my head to begin with. Like I'm, I'm taking on new responsibilities I've never done before. And uh, I went back and Mike Jones and Jeff Rosenberger was the other one who co-founded uh, Clover Capital. Great, both great guys. And I said to him, geez, I got this, had this conversation and would this be something I could, you know, you guys wouldn't mind me pursuing? And they both looked at, oh, we wish we knew about YPO sooner. Um, that's a great organization. A lot of our clients are in that. You definitely should do that. Uh, and I'm so glad they, they gave me the green light. And when I got in, YPO, the chapter, is an awesome experience. And the forum people end up are just as a, it's usually what people point to as their best experience within YPO. And I would, I would echo that. I'm, I just had a great opportunity. I compare YPO to a kind of a golden key. You know, it, it opens up so many doors through just the, the connections from member to member. And I think you, you echo that. But, but jumping back, you basically learned inside out. You, you learned uh, the industry from, uh, from a different perspective, um, being someone in law. And um, so how did, how did learning investment from a non-traditional approach, I would call it almost a, a non-traditional approach, how did that affect how you approach investment today and how you run your company? And, and obviously, how, how do you think um, that experience shaped who you are now? Coming up through the legal channel, being the, being the general counsel at a firm like Manning Appear, and learning the investment industry from that perspective was actually, it is, it is pretty unique, but it was great because you're learning it from the compliance standpoint. One of the duties you have is to make sure they're staying in compliance with the SEC regulations, all the rules and regulations that are out there. And it's very specific in the investment advisor world. And which different than like a broker kind of uh, situation where broker, they just suggest things to you. It's your, it's your decision. You make the decision. They'll suggest it where investment advisor, you're a fiduciary. So there, and that's the nice part being a lawyer. I, that resonates with me. I, I want, I, we're going to hold ourselves to the highest standard. So you learn it from that perspective. You learn all the do's and don'ts. And when people in the industry, a lot of times they're trying to push the envelope. Well, I came up saying we're pushing the envelope back. We want to be, we don't want to be near the edges. We, we don't, we want to make sure everything we're doing is completely above board, completely in alignment with what the, the regulatory programs are out there. Clients first and, and focusing on their success rather than, than the internal companies. Exactly. The other part of that, that probably is an interesting twist is I didn't grow up as an, as an analyst, like Mike Jones, particularly grew up as an, an investment analyst. So he grew up learning the industry that way. And he can be more passionate about a specific stock or about this methodology where I tend to be a little bit more agnostic and say, okay, let's, let's look at the data. And I shouldn't use Mike Jones as an example because Mike is actually really good about stepping back too because he's run a large firm from that investment perspective. So he's, he has all these analysts that were in his ear saying, no, we should buy more of my stock. No, no, this one said we should buy more of that. So, so Mike had a great perspective and maybe I learned that from him too. But I think not being the analyst growing up, you, you can be a little bit more detached and less emotional about it, which I think was a very good thing. When we, when we had Clover Capital, we were growing nicely. We were building all these things. Uh, we were getting unsolicited offers. So Mike Jones, I remember going, you know what? We're getting these offers. We're big. We really, you know, to get to that next level, we were at like $3 billion to get to that $20 billion level to probably need to pair up with one of these big groups and federated investors out of Pittsburgh was one of them that was calling on us. And so we looked into it, but I was 40 at the time going, no, I'm, I'm too young for this, you know, and, and they're going to want, they're, they're not going to want me here in Rochester as the president. And uh, so we went through it and Mike's like, this is the, to get to the next level, this is probably what we need to do and get you better distribution. All those things made sense. Um, for me personally, it wasn't what I was excited about. Um, so we ended up selling to federated, which was another great, and you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't like, but there's a lot of things you'll learn when you learn from negative experience saying, oh, I'll never do that. And I'll never do that. 
and they were just so massive. Um, they didn't even know they didn't have any direct relationship with clients that their clients were advisors that are distributing their product or dealers that are distributing their product. They didn't really know any of the end users. They were shocked with us when they said, wait a second, you know, your client. I'm like, yeah, they were so detached from that. I like that personal connection with people. I like to know that we're helping, you know, what your situation is and we can tailor something to that. So it was great to learn that because sometimes you, you might not appreciate as much till it started to be taken away. And they wanted me to move to Pittsburgh. So federated people said, hey, we want you to first two years, get everything transitioned. And we want you to come to Pittsburgh and you're, you're going to be an executive with this publicly traded company. So I think my my head got filled with all these, wow, I could end up, uh, you know, maybe maybe I could eventually be the CEO of this publicly traded company and a really large company. And um, as we looked at it, my wife grounds me and she was like, we're not moving to Pittsburgh. No, we're not doing that. And and, and I I quickly caught up to her thinking and saying, yeah, you know, it, it's 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 not who we are. We're both from Rochester. Our families are here. We want to raise our kids here. And then the more I got to know that organization, I really wasn't a fan. I would have been seen as an outsider. Um, and it ends up freeing up opportunities because things, you know, you think in life how your path changes because of it. And all throughout, YPO is a consistent uh, influence because I'd go back to my forum and say, guys, I'm thinking about this or that. And you get, you just get unbelievably straightforward, unbiased advice. People a wealth are trying of knowledge. To, yeah. And they're not because, you know, sometimes people tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. I think you can go out of your way and people there, especially in the forum setting, go out of the way to say, Hey, maybe this is something you don't want to hear, but I think you need to hear, or here's really what I think about that opportunity. I'd say pass on that one. You know, the things that people usually say, oh, it's great and all that stuff. Only your so, real friends tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah every, it, Everyone will tell you what you, you want to hear, but nobody will tell you what you need to hear. And and I think that that's a good point is that, you know, you need to hear the hard things sometimes. You do. And and especially when you're going through a point where you're, you really want people's advice and, and you'd say, hey, I really want your perspective. What do you think of this? And, um, and I talked to the people at Federated and I said, I want to move. And they said, all right, well, stay running the company there until the earnout's done. So I had a few more years. So I knew I had something. So I, that's when I looked at a bunch of different things. And it was interesting because in YPO, there's three categories. There's hired guns, which is what I was. I didn't start Clover. I was hired into that situation and ended up being professional management and, and coming at it from that perspective. But then there's the entrepreneurs, which were like Mike Jones and Jeff Rosenberger, who they, they had started Clover. And, and then there's also people that are in family businesses. So these weren't family businesses. But for me, just that exposure within YPO and you go, wow, something was drawing me to be entrepreneurial. Something said, boy, that's a cool thing. That's kind of neat. Even though you, you, you start you start with nothing and you build everything up and you're, you know, you're saying, all right, well, we'll get that figured out. We'll do that. Uh, very different from coming in and everything's all set up for you. It's a different struggle, I guess. Um, but there was something drawn to me and I really got exposed to that through through YPO. I don't know if I would have had as much of a inkling to do that. And um but anyways, so I kept looking for things, things I could buy. And then I had a friend who lives across the street and, and he has a great background in restaurants and he had all these ideas and he said, hey, you finance something and I'll run it for you. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so we were talking about it and uh, I don't know, it didn't sound like anything I was really excited about. And I was driving back from Pittsburgh and I pulled off at one exit and there was a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Wendy's and a Dairy Queen. I went, oh, that's interesting. We don't have Dairy Queens in Rochester. So I called Mark Goldberg and I said, hey, Mark, what do you think about Dairy Queen? And he goes, let me look at it. So he looked into it and I was driving back and he calls me again and says, D did you get to Buffalo yet? And I go, no. He goes, get off at transit, do this, do that. And there was a grill and chill, the new concept. So I looked at it and said, oh, it's cool. So we ended up pursuing that. I stayed running. I was, I was still the president of, of what was now Federated Clover in Rochester. 
and we were managing four and a half billion, but I was financing this, helping him organize, do all those things. But Mark really is the great operator. My best thing is by not getting in his way, that's what I do. I can claim to fame there. And the first one took off and the second one. So it grew and we ended up having three in Rochester and then planted a stake in Syracuse and then federated the earnout was over. Uh, so I, I left in 2014 knowing I wanted to get my non-compete period going. You know, plan B was already working. We already had three locations and it was you know, cash flowing. It was great. Plus I got to have my entrepreneurial dream while I was still had the security of, of working the old job. So I got through, it allowed me to get through my non, non-compete period. And then that's when Mike Jones and I were able to talk again because we were, we were barred from, you know, working together for three years. So when that was up, we had a breakfast at Charbroil Char- Bre- Restaurant. And Mike, yeah, you knew it. I love it. <laughs> yep. and, uh, and he basically just said, I told him what I wanted to do. And I thought there's things we talked about and really building on some of the, the investment principles that Mike had always talked about. And Mike, and I thought Mike maybe would want to retire. And he said, I want to partner with you. And I went, what? I couldn't believe it. I was like, what a day that was. So that lunch you guys were talking about are the doll bar report. Yeah. And that was basically saying that most investment advisors were taking larger sums of their investment profits from their individual investors. Correct? Close. Well, the Del bar report, Del bar study, they call it, they've done every year. And it's a fascinating one. And it, and it showed for years that the average mutual fund was up. And I'll just pick a number like 8%. But the average mutual fund investor was only up 4%. I actually have the excerpt here. Okay. It's uh, 2016, the average mutual fund investor earned 3.98% annualized returns, while the S&P 500 returned 10.16% uh, for average equity fund investor earned 7.26%, while the S&P 500 returned 11.96%. Right. So you can see the, the, the benchmarks were earning way more than those active funds were. Why was the individual investor not making as much? And what you found was they were chasing performance. So if something's gone up 100%, they wouldn't get in it early. They get in it after it's gone up 100% when the next step is more likely to go down. So they were getting into things later. And you just looked at the drag that the fees were having. And the fees are astronomical on so many ones. Because even if, when we were Clover, we always tried to be mindful, but we were active managers. And then the other thing that came along in the late 90s was what they call exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and and they're more tax efficient, they're lower cost, but you're not, it's hard to have active management or risk management in those. <clears throat> but as evolution happens, now there's factor-based ones, and factor-based are ones that allow you to invest, but you know the factors allow some risk management. So that's what we thought we could utilize. Felt like to us the holy grail, getting uh, low cost, tax efficient, because that's where people lose a ton is on the tax efficiency side, because people are buying and selling. And and then the third thing is to have it risk managed. There's people that have passive groups that they can do the first two, they can have low cost, and they can have it tax efficient, but they don't have the risk management element. So that's where we felt like we were really doing something that's the next level, the next step. And we started that um, a little over three years ago. And, uh, and then it was nice, because the people we attracted were just great people. And I really do think, that's that's crucial to our success because it's a people business. I'm gonna not get the quote right from Warren Buffett, but he said what they look for, and he's famous for is saying somebody who's smart, industrious, and somebody with integrity. And he said, no, by the way, if they don't have integrity, you don't want the first two. You don't want somebody smart and industrious who doesn't have integrity in your company because they're gonna do bad things. And then there was another thing, a, a good friend in, in YPO, it said to me, his company, he had a lot of people leave at one point, and it was, it was, it was a big blow to him. And he said, you know what? One of the partners that left, he goes, I never liked that guy anyways. We worked together, but I never enjoyed him, never liked him. And he said, when he rebuilt his company, he said, you know what? 
I'm only going to hire people I like working with and that like each other. So I really like that. And that was definitely in my head as we're building out HPA because I thought you want to be able to walk down the hall and every single person is somebody you'll like. And all while we're doing that, um, Tom Bonadio and Bruce Sicari at Bonadio Group, it said, and I've known those those guys for a long time. I've always respected them. They've grown a phenomenal company, uh, one of the best, you know, accounting firm, one of the largest in the country. And uh, and they had said, geez, they wanted to have an investment firm that could be affiliated with them. So we talked to them about that. And then the synergies we're having with the Bonadio Group are just tremendous because when we have a client come in, you know, to have their investment side, their accounting side, and Bonadio has a lot of consulting groups that are phenomenal to be able to do all that. And, and one group affiliated can really give that person or that client or the company a full perspective of what what's going on in their in their financial world. And so that's really helped us. So I feel like the connections, what we've built is different and special. So uh, at year end just now, um, I had two or three, I, I, three clients that I work with that they've been exposed to other people at our firm. And they wrote me to go out of the way and say, hey, thank you. I just know I'm in the right spot. You guys have done such a great job. I love the communication. I love this. And how heartwarming is that? Because that, that's really why we're doing it, to make a difference and, and to do the right thing for people, get them in a right situation where they don't have to worry as much. Or, you know, the markets are always volatile, but if we're helping them go through that and helping them with their, their financial plan and all that and getting them peace of mind and to have a few people write you just wonderful notes that just say, hey, thank you. And we're like, no, no, thank you for coming on and trusting us. So that just this past, you know, uh, New Year's Eve, getting some of those notes, I think was probably just so unexpected and, and just really kind of blew me away in that regard. I love that some of your highlights uh, that you just named off, the first one wasn't the amount of money you're managing. I love that because, you know, that, that really shows that your heart's in the right place. It's it's more about how you're affecting your clients and the people you work with and, and you're building something, you know. Um, so with with investment, you know, investing is you're managing a lot of money that you're, you're managing. How, how much are we up to now? We're and, over 300 million, 300 million and, and with a lot of commitments. So hopefully we'll and, and it's funny because Clover, we had over three billion and we fully, you know, fully expect to be back at those levels. So it, it's, it, it's a big responsibility, but for somebody who's got 2 million and you're managing that, that's everything they have in the world. So you've got to, you know, that fiduciary mindset, what I told you about before, boy, that comes right to the fore and you want to do everything you can to put those people in the right spot. But there's got to be that underlying faith. You're doing the right thing. You're getting out there. So we really believe in what we're doing. And I can't tell you with such conviction, I, we have the right people, the right team together. And, and like I said, those notes kind of our verification from the client saying, Hey, really, this is great. I really appreciate how you're communicating. I appreciate what you've done. So to me, that's, that's one thing that allows me to sleep at night, knowing we have the right people, the right systems, the type of organization we have today, we have a lot of capacity. We could, we could literally manage $2 billion with our team today. Um, so we didn't, we didn't cut it thin. We didn't try to you know, have a skeletal crew. We, You're we well built prepared the right for the people, future. Right. And we're, we're building it that way. Um, it's, you know, it's taken a while to get to profitability because we built so much infrastructure up front. Um, but I, that's the way I'd want to do it because like you said, that's a lot of money. That's a, you, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing for people. And I don't want it to be close. Like, like when I said, when I first learned the industry and everybody's pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable, I don't want to be on the edges of that. I want to, I want us to go right down main street and make sure we're not even near anything. That Mutual could be success. Yeah. Yeah. As a business leader, um, you know, a lot of your time is, is spent managing your companies and, uh, and growing your companies, but how do you give back into your community and, and how, how are you involved with your community? The biggest one that I've, I've done recently 
is be on the Galisano um, Children's Hospital Board. I was just brought onto that. I've been a big supporter for a while, and we do a lot through the uh, the Dairy Queen offices or the Dairy Queen stores. We raise a lot of money for that. And when they built the new hospital, early on they came to us and said, "Geez, would you guys want to be part of this?" And so we did. We stepped up to a major donation and 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 became a naming rights uh, in the in the original hospital. And then uh, they just built, which I'm really probably even more proud of. They built a mental health facility because it, it's one of those things you don't hear about a lot. You don't see it kind of, there's a stigma attached to it and it's a huge need in any community, but particularly ours. So they built a beautiful facility and, uh, and we also stepped up to be a major donator in that and have one of the major rooms is uh, we were going to name it the Dairy Queen room, but my good friend and partner on the Dairy Queen side, Mark Goldberg, had said to me, he goes, you know, you, you talk about your brother, Billy, and it's the mental health um, building. Would you want to do the name in his honor? And so the room's named in my brother's, uh, Billy's honor, which, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything I'm, uh, at this point, I'm more proud of. It was a, it was a great way to bring two things together because the Galisano Children's Hospital is just simply amazing. I love that you named uh, the, the room after your brother. I think that's a great memoriam to him. And in uh, giving back into to mental health is, like you said, very needed at this time and in our communities in general. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you in the studio. Where can we find more out about HPA and what you have coming up in 2021? We continue to build what we, what we have and, and what we're doing for individuals on the investment side, and especially when we coordinate the Bonadio side where they can get all the accounting uh, and all their tax line picture lined up with their financial picture. And then we put the investment plan together. The other big thing we've done, and we're doing a lot on the retirement plan side, but one of the things that's just allowed, and we're on the cutting edge of this, is there's pooled employer plans, uh, which the SECURE Act just allowed. So as of January 1st, these are just coming out. And we've been doing so much on the retirement plan side. We've built our own uh, pooled employer plan with a group that does all the back office side, the, the retirement group, they call it TRG. So I think there's massive potential because that's another area. One of the things we look for, where's the area where there's a huge disconnect? And so many of the retirement plans, people just haven't looked at them in a long time and they're going, oh, I didn't realize it. And they have funds in there that are charging 2% or it's, it's amazing what we've seen. So it's another one of those things where I feel like not only are we doing you know, well for our clients and, and I think we're doing good things. I think we're doing the right things of bringing the costs in line and giving them better menus that are more risk risk focused and better options for their, their their employees and their participants. So I'm really excited what we're doing that side. We continue to grow. We we built out new offices a little over a year ago, which has been exciting. And I see you going through it and it's, there's an excitement to it. And then another uh, prideful part that you just, you know, something you've built and seen it grow. Uh, and we just continue to bring on great clients and, and this past year, with your help, with all the video work, we've really gotten a lot of client, you know, client uh, positive client feedback on that. Uh, so we're hoping to continue to grow that and new ways to communicate with clients. So we're just trying to stay um, ahead in what what clients are looking for, uh, and then hopefully we're providing that and being a good partner to them as they as they try to secure their futures. That concludes the second episode of the Climb to YPO. You can find more out about High Probability Advisors on their LinkedIn and their website, HighProbabilityAdvisors.com. Make sure you also follow Mountain House Media on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and YPO Empire State on LinkedIn for all the latest updates.